Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 17th of July. I'm Robert Barwick, and I'm joined today by Citizens Party founder and leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's Citizens Report, government's bail-in cover-up falls apart. They will steal your deposits. And how to diversify trade and investment. Before we begin, one of, some of the things we're going to discuss today will be covered uh, in our weekly publication, the Australian Alert Service. So if you haven't received a copy before, you're welcome to call in on our toll-free number and get a copy, right, because we can never do justice to the topics in the short time we have for the show. Um, one of the things we do touch on in this week's alert, just briefly on the front page, is the Palace Letters issue, which is um, really a big story for the week, but we don't have time to cover it this week because there's other big stories. We will do more on that. We're going to read every one of those palace letters ourselves. There's over 200 of them, and we will do more on that in coming weeks. But this is something the Citizens Party has been monitoring for years, the role that what is the real power of the Crown in Australia, and the palace letters actually reflect that. And it does, it does relate to the overall financial system as well um, in, in terms of how the Crown intersects the City of London Financial Centre, which is the entity that effectively cooked up what we're going to talk about in the first segment, bail-in. So with that, let's get into it because this has been a big week in the bail-in campaign, Craig. Yeah, surely has. I mean, I think uh, our ongoing campaign since 2013, Robbie, is really sort of coming to a head now with oh, this yeah. legislation in the Parliament by uh, Senator Roberts. I mean, the fact is that the government is tripping over itself to lie to the Australian people about the fact that bail the, the way the current laws are written means from our interpretation of the law, there's no guarantees in that law to stop people's deposits from being bailed in. And Senator Roberts's bill says, well, just clarify that. It's Put it in the bill. It's, it's the perfect solution. It's the perfect solution. Perfect and solution it. and simple. Yep. The question is, you know, and we're going to see, why is the government you know, opposing this amendment, which is so simple, yep. is because as we've we're continually seeing, particularly this week, that that's not their intention. No, and it's the way it's the way they've opposed it too. So, which which we're going to go through now in a bit of detail, because, um, like I said, the headline for this segment is "Government's bail up, bail in, cover up falls apart. They will steal your deposits because we laid a trap for them." There's the here's a the government. We said, hang on, that's not clear enough. The government said, no, no, we don't. The government said, as, as you highlighted a few weeks ago, Craig, trust us. <laughs> That's the, that was the sense of their argument. And we said, well, look, a simple amendment can clarify it, and they don't want that. But this is what they've, in order to make that case, though, they've exposed themselves quite a bit. Um, and this has been revealed in an other, what is really an excellent article on ABC's website yesterday. The headline is, Coronavirus Crisis Heightens Fears bank deposits could be wiped out under ambiguous laws. And I want to read the opening. And this is by a business reporter in the Simcadem. And I want to read the opening of that article. This is a quote. Imagine you woke up one day to find your bank account had been wiped out. Your entire life savings has evaporated overnight, but not because some anonymous fraudster had stolen it. It happened because the very banking institution that regulators have repeatedly told you is quote, unquestionably strong, has faltered. 
The bank has taken your deposit and, and converted it into shares to ensure its own survival. You now own those shares, but you've taken on more risk than you signed up for, and there's a possibility those shares could end up being worthless. This is a scenario of a bank moving to bail in your money. If you think this is totally impossible, think again. It happened in Cyprus not so long ago. And then, and then the sim goes through various aspects of what, the, what has been brought up in the campaign so far. She, she actually um, she talks about our role, Craig. Yeah. And in talking about our role, um, the, the part, she's actually got a bit of, bit of blowback for this because she, she used the usual tropes to refer to, the, to by our old name, CEC, but conspiracy theorists, anti-Semitic, and our connection to the late American economist, Lyndon LaRouche. Um, so, she, so she did that. Then she focused on the legal opinion of Robert Butler, who, and, but then she talked about the fact that he is a, a, uh, a member of the Citizens Electoral Council or Citizens Party, and he is. But it's Robert Butler's legal opinion that he, you know, his, why is Robert Butler's legal opinion so central to this um, debate? Because he's the only lawyer to actually go into any detail and examine the law that we're talking about. I think he's the only lawyer that's bothered to look at it. That's right. He, he bothered to do so. So um, decisions are made by those who turned up. Bob Butler put out the legal analysis. Um, and uh, the, the, the powers that be would like to dismiss that. But then she highlights the contribution, the totally unexpected contribution to the Senate inquiry by a former Howard government advisor or a former advisor to John Howard as Prime Minister, who is also the former policy director of the Australian Banking Association. His name is Nick Hossack. And Nick Hossack made a submission where he um, agreed that the law needs clarifying. And that's all we're trying to prove here. The law needs clarifying. He agreed that's the case. But then he said it should be clarified the other way to be made explicit that deposits can be bailed in. Yeah. Right? He wants deposits bailed in. Now, um, he had a dry academic economic argument for that, which is that, that if, if deposits can be bailed in, that, that imposes market discipline and, and um, uh, banks will be uh, uh, you know, more likely to, to um, make sensible decisions. That, that's the logic. Um, but nevertheless, uh, someone of his standing is now saying what we're saying, that this thing needs clarity. Now, Craig, before I go on, I want you to respond to what Nick said because he's saying the way to make sure banks behave properly is to have bail-ins so, they, so they're disciplined. There is another way, isn't there? Well, of course there is, and that is, first of all, you know, passing Senator Roberts' amendment, but also go with the Glass-Steagall amendment Glass that we've proposed and been campaigning for many times. Separate the banking system out from the boring banking, which is your normal commercial retail banking system, which is your, you know, your deposits, your lending for normal commercial purposes from all the investment banking, the speculative stuff that's creating enormous problems in the system. Robbie, I really do find it interesting when in the same article at the end there where she says, politically, it is likely the government will remain reluctant to change the law to more clearly state that there will not be bail-ins. Such a move, she says, could send a signal to the wider community that it feels that there is, a, there is a risk and might spook the public into a bank run where a large number of people rush to pull out their deposits. In the same article, she says there's also a move to ban cash. Yes. Look, isn't it clear that this is the, the intention of the banks is not to protect dep deposits, it's to ban cash in order to trap people in the banking system and uh, basically to protect the banks? 
it's so clear. And, and, it's quite, and, and Craig, it is, and it's quite stunning that she would actually say that the government would not want this clarified. Uh, that's amazing. That is unacceptable. Let's take a break. When we, go back, when we come back, I want to go through the government's specific contributions to this inquiry. Welcome back to the Citizens Report, where we're talking about government's bail-in cover-up falls apart. They will steal your deposits. And as we said just before the break, in this ABC article by Nassim Kadem, she notes that the government does not want, does not and will not want to clarify this point in the law. And when you hear that, you have to say, why on earth not? And the answer is simple, because they will want to bail in deposits. Now, that is also evident in the way the government contribu contributed to, the, to this inquiry. The government's contribution has come in two forms, a submission from Treasury and then responses from the bank regulator, APRA, which, which APRA didn't even bother making a submission. They, they're treating this inquiry with contempt. However, the, the committee put questions to APRA that they responded to and then they turned that response into a, into a submission, right? But both of those um, submissions and contributions are significant for the lies that are told and what they do not say. And I want to go through that now just so the, 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 you, the viewer, are clear on where the um, government's coming from. So, Treasury. In Treasury's submission, it talked about the parameters of the law, about this, if um, there's, this, there's these three, three words in the law that we're concerned about, that conversion and write-off provisions, which is what a description of bail-in, applies to any other instrument. Very, very broad. And they're, they're, trying, to, they're trying to give the context of why that doesn't, can't, doesn't and cannot include deposits. In doing so, they talk about Basel Accords, which is what the Bank for International Settlements puts, puts out to govern capital requirements for the banks. And they have virtually half a page on that, right? And they, they, they show how they think that's relevant to this. They also cite a 2018 report by the same committee into the, the original law. That is the law that the, the bill that was passed back on Valentine's Day 2018 with only eight senators present, right? The, the committee did a report, did an inquiry and a report in that one, and the Treasury cite that. But what they don't cite, Craig, is what that committee acknowledged at the time. That committee back then said that the law that they ran through was based on the Financial Stability Board's prescription of resolving a banking crisis, and that's called the Key Attributes of Effective Resolution Regimes, and those key attributes include bailing in deposits. That is what the Financial Stability Board says should be done, that bail-in should extend to deposits. It's in there, in black and white. Instead of bail-out, go to bail-in. Go to bail-in and make sure it goes to deposits. It's, it's section 3.5 of those key attributes. That 2018 report acknowledged that. Treasury, in insisting that they will note there's never any intention in Australia to touch deposits, did not mention that their own government report acknowledged this law is based on those key attributes. In fact, Treasury's submission did not mention that Financial Stability Board at all. That is a glaring omission. Treasury was trying to avoid the subject, deliberately so. And then Treasury said this. Um, this is a lie, an outright lie, Treasury says. We, that deposits cannot be bailed in for this reason. This is because the Banking Act contains several explicit provisions that expressly rule out the possibility of any form of conversion, write-off or bail-in of deposit accounts. That's the sentence. 
The Banking Act contains several explicit provisions that expressly rule out the possibility of bail-in. No, the Banking Act does not. The Banking Act contains... What Treasury was actually referring to was the Banking Act's re vague reference to a thing called depositor preference and, and the financial claim scheme, which is a $250,000 guarantee. However, as we've shown before and reported before, that, that only applies when, when banks collapse. It doesn't reply, apply to before a bank collapses when a bail-in applies to stop it from collapsing. But to call those explicit provisions against bail-in is a lie. They've got nothing to do with bail-in. What Senator Roberts' bill, though, does, or wants to do, on the other hand, is to insert an explicit... I'll use Treasury's words. Senator Roberts' bill would insert an explicit provision that expressly rules out the possibility of any form of conversion write-off or bail-in. That's what the bill does, and they don't want it, right? They're, and to knock it back, they're claiming it's already there. No, it's not there, right? So this was, this was an outright lie by Treasury. Um, APRA did something similar. APRA said four times in its submission, four times it repeated that it's... This is the term it used. Its paramount objective is to protect depositors. Right? So trust us, our paramount objective is to protect depositors. Well, it turns out there's no such thing. APRA does not have a paramount objective. Paramount means number one. Under the Banking Act, APRA has twin objectives, and they're, re they're repeated constantly. APRA's twin objectives are protect depositors and promote financial system stability. Now, the way the law works, when you've got to read those two things together, right? So the protection of depositors is in the context of promoting financial system stability. At no stage did APRA say in its submission that it's equally responsible for financial system stability. Why not? Because to acknowledge that, they would have to... Um, they're, they're raising something which is used around the world as the excuse to bail in deposits. The, the, the organisation that dictates bailing deposits is called the Financial Stability Board. Their logic is you've got to bail in deposits in, in a bank, right, so they lose some money or else that bank will collapse and they'll lose all money. That's the logic of bail-in. Now, as Craig just went through, um, you can cut through that crap with Glass-Steagall and, and provide financial system stability by stopping banks from doing bad things. That's what Glass-Steagall does. But they don't want to do that. They want to let banks keep gambling, make you the bank's sort of like airbag, right, when it hits, when it collides, um, and, and uh, uh, you know, and in the name of financial system stability, be able, to, be able to bail in deposits. But APRA wouldn't even acknowledge that term because it opens up, um, it would draw attention to the fact that, yeah, financial system stability is the excuse to bail in deposits. And Yet that's in APRA's responsibilities. Yeah, Robbie, our government signed on to this the Financial Stability Board, we signed off on these resolution powers. We signed off on bail-in. The statutory authorities here Exactly. Are, we have endorsed it all. They're committed to bail-in. So, There's a little graphic we'll put on the screen, Craig, of, of showing our membership of the Financial Stability Board, a little yeah. Australian flag there, so you can see that. So we're a member of the Financial Stability Board, and we've signed off on it, and we're pursuing those things that you And that's one why one of the Citizens' Party policies, we would get we would ex exit these foreign controls of our financial affairs and start running our own affairs through a national bank and totally sovereign banking system. This is where the destruction of our country is coming from and APRA is being seen, as it is, to be an arm of this international financial uh, and let, control let me, factor. Let me, let me just raise one more thing because um, I, I want you to comment on that as well. Um, 
The economist John Adams and banking expert Martin North, back in late 2018, they showed that um, there's a bank terms and de bank deposits have terms and conditions which include a clause that allow the banks to make any changes they want without warning, without notice to the to the deposit holder, under orders from APRA. And so they raise this as this is a way APRA can order a bailout. APRA has responded to that specific issue and, and said this. And I, want, I want you to comment on it. He said, no, no, that can't be done. Those changes cannot be made that way to, to do a, a bail-in because to do so would be, this is a quote, to do so would be inconsistent with unfair contract terms legislation under the ASIC Act. So you go to ASIC's website and this is what it says about the unfair contract terms. ASIC says, quote, only a court can determine whether a contract term is unfair. So Craig, what do you think bank victims would think of ASIC, of APRA citing that unfair contract thing as a protection against depositors? Well, the banks and ASIC being bailed in. they're just not concerned, Robbie, because what this means you can throw this issue into a court. You're talking about years and years to resolve something. After the bail-in. After the bail-in, but also the fact is they've got unlimited resources to fight this sort of stuff and they don't really care. Yep. And that's the issue here. Why get into this in the first place when Senator Roberts' bill can make the simple clarification, right? Have it in writing. Don't elicit, don't, we don't have to accept the, the trust me's. And in fact, the more bad faith you're seeing as this debate goes on, Absolutely. highlighted by Nassim's uh, article, it proves the fact that this trust me idea is absolutely absurd. Put it in writing, get it legislated, and protect people's deposits. Now, to that end, we need you, the viewer, to pick up the phone, get on your computer and send emails. We now have three weeks to flood Parliament with phone calls and emails of protest against what the government's saying about this bill and demand they support it and pass it. It would clarify everything. And the only reason not to clarify it is if they want to bail in deposits. And do not accept any of their, their, their explanations as an excuse. We've given them the perfect thing to clarify it. They claim they have no intention to bail in deposits. We'll put in a thing in the law that says they never can, right? And clarify it. So time to hit the phones because we still have a chance. They're going to they're use everything in their power to stop this. We know APRA is furious. They do not want any attention to this. You can combat that with phone calls and uh, emails. So we'll put, if you're watching on YouTube, we'll put a link below on how to get uh, contact details for members of parliament. So let's take a break, Craig. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how to diversify trade and investment. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. Finally, how to diversify trade and investment. And Craig, we are in a situation where it's getting worse every day. The country's economic survival is at stake, but of course we're not unique. The whole world's in this position. Um, what's interesting though is people are opening up to new ideas. And one of the things we want to highlight, or two things in this segment quickly, but um, former Premier Peter Beattie um, was quoted in the, in the uh, Courier Mail in Queensland the other day, former Queensland Premier Peter Beattie, calling for the Bradfield scheme. Right? He said, this is the kind of project we've got to get built. We've got to cut the red tape and green tape and get it out, get it out there, get people into jobs. Now, we've done recent segments on the Bradfield scheme, which is the water diversion scheme in North Queensland. That There's different versions of it, but some of it will, if you build a big enough dam wall at what's called the Hell's Gates Dam, can, through mostly gravity, feed water down from where it's the greatest rainfall area in Australia, eventually into the Murray-Darling Basin. 
That's actually what Peter Beattie supports, right? Which is quite, which is quite crucial, especially now it'll, it'll, it'll be transformative for the country. He called it Queensland Snowy Mountain Scheme, right? Quite, quite crucial. Now, he's called it for this before, again, in crisis conditions, because if you're old enough to remember what's called the millennial drought, um, the, the, almost 10 years of drought after 2000, he called for it then. But in doing so, Craig, um, he used our material. Yeah, that's right, Robbie. He actually published in The Australian... Uh, the a full page, open led to Australians where he featured our graphs, our, sorry not graphs, our graphic, on the actual Bradfield scheme. Now this this was published in uh, you know February 20, 2007. It's a map. A, that, it's a map that you had prepared for it, our it's, publication. It's one that I've driven you know drew up as part of our publication, Australia's Blueprint for Economic Development, which is our infrastructure new citizen. And it's probably not an accident because he knows us pretty well, right? Yeah, he does. I mean, you know, the CEC was founded in, in 1988. We won the Bramber by-election in, uh, in April of 1988, and that's just under the great deal of uh, dislocation after the, you know, the 1980s stock market crash, also the sacking of Sir Joe Bielke Peterson or his retirement, whatever it was, after 19 years as the Queensland Premier. Premier. It was the safest National Party seat in the state of Queensland. We won that seat. Now, it was funny because on the day of the election... Uh, Peter Beattie went, who was the state secretary for the Labor Party at that point, he shows up at the Tabinga Primary School polling station and there was one Labor Party how-to-vote person and there was about two Liberal, uh, uh, two National Party how-to-vote people and there's about 15 CEC people at that point because this was a mass strike. Yeah, yeah. And Peter Beattie said to our people, says, oh, look like you guys have won this seat. Yeah. And sure enough, that was in the morning. I mean, we had no idea. <laughs> so he's got so good by instincts. the evening, when the results come out, yeah, we won the seat. We won the seat. So Peter Beattie knows us very well from the, very, you know, the, the, the time that he was the State Secretary. Now, about, uh, I think, seven, uh, nine years later, he became the Premier for quite a number of years. So he, he knows us very well. Now it shows, and it shows how people notice uh, ideas. And, we, of course, we're an ideas factory in many, uh, to, to a large extent. Um, but it takes certain circumstances of crisis for that to be clarified, and we're in that now, right? So that's an excellent idea. It's what a, but how do you achieve it with the National Development Bank? You can do all these things. And so that brings me to the next issue that I want to raise, which is that there's a there's an LNP Member of Parliament, um, George Christensen. He's the chairman of the Joint Standing Committee on Trade and Investment, and they are conducting an in, um, sorry trade and investment growth. And they're running an inquiry now into diversifying Australia's, Australia's trade and investment profile. And we want, we'll put a link to this below as well. We want people to make submissions to this by the 31st of July because basically they're saying, look, the coronavirus has shown we're too dependent on trade and investment from one country. Now, the trade, of course, we're concentrated in, with China. George thinks we're concentrated on investment with China as well, which is not true. All the, you know, China's a tiny investor compared to the United States. But if you want to address this, have a national development bank. What a national development bank allows you to do is encourage the growth of industries in Australia so you've got more industries producing that you can trade with rather than just concentrate on raw materials like we do, right? And it can build the infrastructure like the Bradfield scheme, etc., without foreign debt. And this is key. And there's a, we'll have a look at this, quick, this graph quickly that shows in World War II, the years of World War II, while Australia's debt soared, we went from having debt about 40% of GDP to over 140% over the war years, foreign portion of that debt collapsed down to 10%. We funded ourselves because we had the Commonwealth Bank in those days, right? So this is a perfect opportunity. This is a huge campaign we're running, but if, we, the, the, if this inquiry starts looking at this question of a national development bank to address these things that it's raising as a, pro, as a problem, um, 
we can, it can then perhaps hold hearings and you get publicity for this issue to keep hammering Parliament. Look, stop being subservient to the private banks. Do something for the common good. And that's what a National Development Bank does. Mm. All right, Craig, thanks very much. Thanks, Robbie. And thanks to the viewer for tuning in. Make a submission, make those phone calls. Tune in next week for more.